This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by our brand new free guide, Shave 10 Hours Off Your Work Week. In this in-depth, action-focused guide, you'll discover why it feels like you don't have enough time and how to reclaim 10 hours each week. Get your free guide today at leadtowin shave. I'm starting to realize something is bad wrong. Like, this mm-hmm. is not... I don't know what I thought was happening, but I... I was not yet thinking heart attack. Hi, I'm Megan Hyatt Miller, and this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. Hey, as I've mentioned before, I am recently back from my sabbatical. My dad is out for his first three-month-ever long sabbatical over the summer, and we're excited to be back together here in several more weeks and share the insights from our time away once he's back. But in the meantime, today, I have another exciting guest. From my perspective, maybe the most exciting guest, my husband and our chief product officer, Joel Miller. I feel like I need like a big drum roll. (laughs) I would also agree that this is very exciting. (laughs) Wait, wait, it's not your part yet. Hang on. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sit tight. I have to introduce you to the people. Okay, so Joel is responsible for the stewardship and ongoing development of our intellectual property, whether that's in a book, a course, or a coaching format. And he works really closely with my dad and me to develop our best ideas in ways that are transformational for you all. So if you've ever wondered, how do we have all this amazing stuff to share with you guys? Joel is probably behind it or his team. And on that note, he has built a phenomenal team of writers, editors, and creators who really bring all these ideas to life. We could not do it without him. Anyway, Joel, I'm so happy to have you here today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. This is super exciting. It's so fun. You're at home in our home office slash Mm -hmm. studio. I'm in the office office. And it's kind of funny to be in two different places, but doing this together. Yeah, it is. And odd and kind of wonderful. Well, you really are the most exciting guest that I could ever have on the podcast and my favorite person of all time. We're going to talk about uh, my sabbatical and how it was a little different than what I planned on. Okay, so let's talk about the sabbatical we thought we were going to have, which mm-hmm. was very well planned as they typically yes. are. Yes, lots so of the, lists. Guys, the lists were amazing. I'll talk about that in a second. It was my best ever list showing. I just want you to know that it was next level of planning. If only it had worked out like I thought. So the plan but it was- didn't. But it did not. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but we're going to make you wait for it for just a second. So- The plan was that we were going to go to Uganda. So if you've listened to this show for very long, you know that Joel and I have five children together. We have children ages 20 to two. And our two middle boys are adopted from Uganda. They were adopted in 2011. And we have not been back since then. And we have recently started a relationship with their birth families. They're not biologically related. And we have done that over Zoom. It's amazing that that can happen. That wasn't even possible when we adopted them in 2011. So technology for the win on that. And so we were excited to go see them, to um, kind of reintroduce them to our boys and really make those connections with their homeland and their families, their birth families and extended families. They have lots of family members. So we had been planning this. And let me tell you, 
I think I probably had a little anxiety about this trip. So sometimes how my anxiety works out is planning. And there were many, many lists and many, um, lots of, it, was, it really came out in packing and like, how can I get all the things we need to take our kids and our nanny and do this in a developing country with, a, you know, toddler and diapers and food challenges and dietary issues and anyway. So there were- Let, let me just say that NASA does not prepare for trips right. the, way, the way you do. Like right. this was this was next level. We could have gone- to space with we the could level have gone of to space. We were we were really ready. So yeah. we were ready for it. So imagine that. Imagine like uh folding tables in my upstairs with everything organized by category, you know, like here's the cooking stuff, here's the packing stuff, here's the special clothes, here's all the medicine we have to take in advance. We got our travel shots, all of that. So we were set to leave in early June. And at the end of May, right before leaving on sabbatical, just a few days before, I was sitting in a meeting with my executive team, and suddenly I started feeling some discomfort in my chest. And this, as someone who is a an avid exerciser, I had lifted weights the day before. I thought, well, maybe I'm having kind of like a spasm because I'd done some chest, uh, some chest presses, some chest flies with free weights. That's normally how I lift weights, and I thought maybe that's what was happening. Except that it continued to escalate. And I'm trying to concentrate on what everybody's saying. And in my mind, I'm like, is this like a panic attack or something? Like, this doesn't feel right. And then I'm thinking, I'm not anxious. So that doesn't make any sense. And it's painful. So that doesn't make any sense. And after maybe five to seven minutes, it's getting really painful and I can't concentrate anymore. And so Joel was sitting uh, right next to me. Joel's on our executive team, as I mentioned earlier. And I said, honey, my chest really hurts. And he kind of looked at me like, what in the world? And everybody, you know, I'm, I'm trying to not say this because I know everybody's going to be worried. And so my executives are like, what? Oh my God. We all I'm turn and we're leaning in. Hmm? Right. Leaning in. And, you know, I'm trying to get my watch to, to check my heartbeat and all the rest. And anyway, it just got to the point where it continued to escalate. And the executives were like, Megan, you need to go to the hospital. And Joel's like, yeah, we need, we need to go. So by this point, I'm in excruciating pain. That was like three minutes. Oh, it is. From, I thought it was like ten to fifteen minutes. See, I've no, no sense of time. It was. It was no more than three minutes between you putting your hand on my arm and us standing to leave. Okay, so this this apparently time was slowing down in this whole experience. So by this point, I'm in a lot of pain. Right, I've got to walk out of our office, and I'm just thinking, don't fall over in front of your team. Right, like they're gonna be real worried if you pass out or something. You know, you just gotta like get out of the building. And I'm having pain in the in my jaw, in my kind of under my tongue, in my neck, across my shoulders and chest. Some of you are seeing where this is going. So we walk out to the car. We walk to our parking lot where our car is parked and I'm feeling really nauseated. We get in the car. We're going now we're we're trying to you know drive to the the ER which is about 10 minutes away from our office and I'm starting to realize something is bad wrong. Like this mm -hmm. is not I don't know what I thought was happening, but I I was not yet thinking heart attack. I was thinking anything but that. And and by the time we're about four minutes away from the the hospital, I'm thinking, just don't die before you get there. You know? Like, well, I was I, driving fast enough that that wouldn't happen. Let me just tell you <laughs> well, that. We were getting there. I'm just saying I have a V8 and I'm not afraid to use it. Right. That's true. So we get there. We go in. We're like, we think I'm having a heart attack. 
They take me back. You know, they're, they're looking at me. I'm 41 years old. If you don't know, I'm healthy. I'm fit. I'm, I exercise five, six days a week. You know, they're like, uh, yeah, right. You know, I mean, that's kind of what their facial expressions say. They hook me up to all the things and I'm in pain. So I'm like, when am I getting something for the pain? And they basically give me out of van. Like they think I'm having a panic attack and th- they don't really see anything is wrong. Well, they hooked you, you up to the EKG and, and that was, was normal. And that was yeah. normal. So this is not helping me in terms of getting what I need. So finally, though, they take these enzymes, which if you've had a heart attack, you know, they become elevated when you've had a heart event. So that all of a sudden changed things. So then they admitted me and they they still couldn't figure it out, though. They're like, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're so young and you don't fit the profile and nothing, nothing makes sense. So the next morning I admit me, you know, this next next day I have a heart catheter procedure where I'll spare you the details, but they were able to actually look inside my heart and the vessels and arteries and all of that. And what they found is that I had a very rare kind of heart attack called a SCAD, S-C-A-D, heart attack that affects women uh, average age 42, so basically my age, who have no other risk factors, who are physically active. So basically, they don't know why it happens. They don't know what the um, the true causes. There are a few kind of hypotheses about this, which I'll share in a second. But, you know, I don't have high blood pressure. I don't have high cholesterol. I don't have any lifestyle factors that would that would be uh, in play for this. And in fact, there are no lifestyle factors. It's either potentially hormonal, an underlying tissue disorder, which I now know I don't have, or in men, it's extreme exercise. So like if I were yeah. Olympic powerlifting, you know, but just spoiler, like I do, I, like Joel, no, we, neither of us are, are Olympic powerlifters, unfortunately, although I was planning to train for a Tough Mudder race in the fall, which I hadn't quite gotten to that intense part of my training yet. So that wasn't the cause. So more than likely, you know, it's either hormonal or sorry, we don't know. I'm going to be going to the right. Mayo Clinic here in a few weeks, a couple weeks, I guess now. Um, they have a team of three cardiologists who see only patients with SCAD uh, heart attacks and this condition. But literally, this is how rare it is. My cardiologist and others that I've now talked to only see a patient once every 10 to 15 years with this condition. So really, really weird. Um, you know, they kind of looked at me like I was Super a freak rare. of nature. Yeah. So I'm just going to take a deep breath, right? Like that was oh, kind of crazy to share that with you guys. I, I mean, I remember when the cardiologist came in after doing that heart catheter scan and described what he saw. Um, just imagine this for a minute. The Here's your very, 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 very tiny artery that has a cell lining that is one cell thick and that cell lining tore. Mm-hmm. Now, a it's tiny, like a run in your pantyhose back yeah. when you're wearing pantyhose. Tiny tear and pressure from blood pumping through that artery causes that tear to run. And so he was able to visibly see that in the heart. First off, that is amazing to fathom that that can even be done. But it, praise God, it was also confirmation of what happened, which otherwise would have been completely mysterious. Well, and and really, this is a condition that there's not a lot known about, and a lot of people don't get the correct diagnosis. 
Um, like they used to put stents in, which they don't do that anymore. So the, this, that was essentially like a hematoma in the artery creates the blockage and they used to treat it like an actual blockage and they would put a, a stent in, which if you ever try to mess with a run in your pantyhose, ladies, you remember this, it gets worse, right? So that's what would happen. So you actually want to try to leave it alone as much as possible so that it can heal. So, so anyway, you know, miraculously, One, I got a diagnosis. I'm so grateful for that. That really gives me clarity. Number two, we were not in Uganda when this happened. I mean, literally, we were days away from being, you know, there's basically like a, there's a capital of Uganda is Kampala. The medical treatment that's available, of course, is limited. And we weren't staying there. We were going to be in you know, three hours away from the city in an area where we would have had no medical care in terms of like cardiac availability. And so it's just a total miracle that we we had not already left, you know, um, so that was a mercy. And then the other thing is that because I have really prioritized my health, you know, I've talked about this on the show. Um, this is something that has been important to me for a long time. But for the last year, I have been really serious about exercising and fitness and like I love working out and I'm really consistent. It's part of my morning ritual. I think my body was in a strong enough place that, I mean, the outcome is was really good. You know, I'm okay. I'm here for starters. So like there's that. But then second of all, I, the prognosis looks good for the future, mm-hmm. you know, as best as we can tell. Um, what was interesting I, because I already had my sabbatical plan. I mean, I would say that was the other thing in God's mercy. I already had a month planned off. And while the sabbatical that I thought I was going to have going to Uganda with my kids and seeing their birth families and, you know, that was a loss and it was a loss for them for sure. They were kind of simultaneously relieved and I think disappointed at the same time. You know, you can imagine there's a lot of emotions going into that. We're hoping to do that again next summer. But the fact that I already had this time off meant that I could see all the doctors I needed to see without mm-hmm. some crazy heroic rearranging of the calendar. Um, which, which became a new part-time job. Which I mean. did become a new part-time job. You know, fortunately, Nashville is a great place for medicine and we have amazing doctors here. And I have an incredible um, cardiac internist, Dr. Mark Houston, who as uh, my, my mom and dad both see him and uh, he's also kind of like a primary care physician as well with this specialty. And my parents say affectionately that he does like a living autopsy. So I have had <laughs> I have had more tests no- that I even knew were known to man. And the good news is, is that I'm really, really healthy, you know, mm-hmm. that now I have the opportunity to take my health kind of like to the next level in terms of I was already doing so many things right. But this event gives me an invitation to do even more than I would have otherwise and prevent all the preventable cardiac stuff that, you know, might have been something to be concerned about as I age. So that's pretty cool, you know, all by itself. But man, I've learned a lot about cardiac health, right, Joel? Uh, No kidding. In the hospital, you know, we were there overnight. The scan happened the very next morning, very early. And, you know, the news, uh, the diagnosis and all that was in before noon. And we were in the car by like 2 p.m. out the door which was odd. You know, you go in for a heart attack one day, you're out the next day. Yeah. Uh, And they were basically saying, you know, stay active. So they were encouraging you to get up and like walk and all of that. And I remember the first few times walking around the block being concerned. Um, You had special medication just in case something were to happen. Right. Nothing really did. Um, 
And within a few weeks, no one would have even known that anything had happened. It was odd. I mean, it was very surreal and and still is in some ways. I think it is surreal. You know, it was uh, was interesting. I was pretty restricted in terms of what I could do there for the first few weeks. Like I couldn't Mm -hmm. get my heart rate over 90 beats a minute. So I got my Apple Watch going all the time. Even if I was walking, they allowed me to walk on a flat surface, you know, so in my neighborhood, which is pretty flat, Um, but slowly. And, you know, I'm... I'm kind of fast normally. Like everything I do is kind of fast. And so all the older people in our neighborhood, we happen to live in a neighborhood where there are a lot of people that probably have been here since the neighborhood was built. And, um, you know, they're out in the morning walking and they are like lapping me, lapping me right. hard, you know, and I, it's just so humbling to just be out there shuffling like, okay, I really have to go slow. I'm walking at probably like two and a half miles an hour or something. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it, it was... Like you said, it was surreal. I would say the first week was just total shock of like, mm-hmm. I cannot believe that this has happened. Just how do I, I went transparently, I went and saw my therapist and I was like, the math doesn't add up. Like I have never been more on top of my health and I'm not working too much and, you know, all these things. And she's like, Megan, sometimes the math doesn't add up. Like that's life. Like, so, you know, this is not a, Life is not an equation in that way. I mean, certainly what you have been doing has helped you to have a great outcome, but there are things outside your control in case you forgot, (laughs) you know, I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. You know, so that was interesting. I would take, I would say it took me, I don't know, a few weeks to just kind of get my sea legs again. And then I started feeling more like myself and I'm now in yeah. cardiac rehab, which is also funny because I'm the youngest person by a good 20, <laughs> 25 plus years. Um, but I'm getting my confidence back about what I can do. I'm working up little by little and will hopefully be able to be at the level of exercise that I was before all this happened, you know, by the time I'm done here in a few more weeks. So that's exciting to me. The hard thing about that surrealness and, you know, just the the whole everything goes sideways kind of, of moment is understanding what it means. It's like, mm-hmm. it's impossible, it's impossible not to try to figure out what things mean, you know, like we're historical creatures, we live in time right. and events and happen around us. Right. So as we are moving through the world and this happens and that happens or you know, whatever, we try to like stitch it all together in a way that makes sense to us. And when you said, you know, like the math doesn't add up, that's totally right. Like none of the factors that would be there that would explain it are there. I mean, like you're the butt of jokes when you go to cardiac rehab because you don't fit in that group of right. people. <laughs> I mean, a sitcom writer could have a field day with with that, you know? So that's that's an odd thing. And I think that kind of puzzlement is, I don't know, a great reminder that we are way smaller and our yeah. ambitions are sometimes curtailed by things that we can't even begin to understand. I can't remember who I was listening to the other day talk about this. They were talking about taking responsibility for things. You know, oh, I think it was, um, I had a conversation with my sister Mary about it. We were talking about how much you should be taking ownership of things. And Mm -hmm. you know how sometimes that concept can sort of get abused in a way that has us taking responsibility for things we can never control in the first place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was just saying, 
how important it is to be mindful of the fact that we can only take responsibility. We can only take 100% of the responsibility for things that we actually control, you know? And I think with regard to our health or our safety or anything like that, we don't have complete control. We have a lot of influence, right? We have a lot of influence over the outcomes in our life. And we have a lot of control over certain things. And I think that it's really empowering to be aware of those things and to take full advantage of the opportunity to positively impact our own lives. Mm -hmm. But that's in tension with the fact that, you know, people who never smoked a day in their life get lung cancer. Right. You know, like, how do you explain that? I mean, just weird things that happen to people sometimes. Um, or, you know, you get in a car accident and there was a drunk driver that hits you. It's not, you, you weren't driving dangerously, you know? And, and that's obviously, um, these are hard examples to share, but I, I just think it is important to remember lest in a way our ego get inflated, that we have right. a level of control and there's kind of a level of hubris about master of our own destiny. That's not true. And that may sound like a funny thing to say because we talk so much on this podcast about being intentional, about really being in control of the things that you are in control of. But I think the kind of balance to that is also remembering that ultimately our life is in God's hands. We are not the master of our own destiny completely. And that there are things that happen that are outside of our control that we would not choose. And and then it becomes up to us to decide, like, what's the story we're going to put around that? You know, I mean, I've had to be very conscious of, okay, what what's the narrative around this? Was this the worst mm -hmm. thing that ever happened to me? Or is this going to be the best thing that ever happened to me? And I don't say that lightly, like, this is just some, like, you know, icing that I'm spreading over something to try to make it into a cake, but it wasn't. I, I don't mean that. I just mean that I have to really decide, like you said, Joel, what is the meaning that I'm going to give to this? You know, I was when I was at cardiac rehab this morning. One of the nurses was telling me about another – they've only had a couple other SCAD patients in their her time there. And she said, this other woman who was like your age, you know, she had a really hard time when she was here because she was just so traumatized. And I get that. I get how you could be so traumatized. And I think sometimes there are certain kinds of trauma, certainly not all, and I've studied trauma a lot, so – you know, I'm say this is a very nuanced thing. Sometimes trauma is about how you experience something, not about what happens to you. You mm -hmm. know, sometimes that doesn't apply and that's not a relevant thing to say. But in this case, I think it is, you know, like for me, I don't feel traumatized. I just feel like that was a, it was maybe kind of like a traumatic thing to go through an event, but it's not, I am not traumatized, like ongoing. I think that I want it to make me more sober minded have more clarity in my life about what matters, obviously, as any, you know, kind of life and death experience does. Um, but, you know, I look at things like I've decided, even though it doesn't seem that um, stress is a factor in this, again, lifestyle factors are not a factor in this type of heart attack, just as kind of like precautionary measure for the future, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to join an eight-week meditation program. And uh, that's called MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, out of the University of Massachusetts. And it's really cool. It's um, very medically oriented, um, studied in a medical context, not religious. And my motivation for that and kind of what got me excited was, you know, one of the most important things about leading at a high level is not being reactive, is being able to have an intensely emotional situation, you know, which if you're leading a company, those things bubble up to you sometimes. 
How do I make decisions that are high stake or have high stakes, have an emotionally intense situation and not be reactive, but be able to be really present and put enough distance between myself and the stimulus so that I can make an intentional decision? Well, I thought not only is this good for my emotional health, my cardiac health, all that, but it's really going to be good for my leadership, you know? And so that's one of the things that I kind of made this mean, this heart attack mean for myself is this is an invitation really to take my obviously self-care to the next level. I mean, there's always another level to go to with your health and your self-care, but also my leadership, you know, my parenting, my ability to be your wife and partner, you know, that that that's a great thing. So I'm I'm really honestly excited about that, even though obviously I never want to go through that again. There's a novel called The Hakawadi, and it's written by uh, a fellow whose name I will undoubtedly mispronounce, so uh, I request a little generosity from listeners on this point, but Raba Alamadeen, um, he says this in the story, the narrator says, what happens is of little significance compared to the stories we tell ourselves about what happens, and that's probably been said a hundred different ways by, you know, a hundred different people. But there, there is, there is a sense in which all of life is what happens and then what we say happens. Right. And, and what we say happens about the thing that happens can be either more useful or less useful. Right. And, and I, one of the things I have always found uh, compelling about you as a person is your commitment to finding the most useful version of whatever it is, the narrative about something because you are not the kind of person that is content to uh, – I, I want to be careful about how I say this because I don't want to like imply that other people are not like this or, or couldn't be like this or whatever. But that when something negative happens, you are very keen to not allow it to be definitive. And I mean that in this uh, – to be final, that you, mm-hmm. that you want to be able to move past it. And so you are very adept at – interpreting events, uh, narrating events, uh, understanding events in such a way that you can move, that you can continue to move forward. And I find that compelling in, you know, as your, as your partner, I find that uh, inspiring as uh, somebody that works with you day in and day out in a business context, someone that raises uh, our kids together, that has mm-hmm. the life that we have together, any number of things in life throw curveballs and in some cases, you know, really ugly boulders at us. And one of the ways that we're able to navigate those boulders is your ability to have a sense of possibility and uh, just resourcefulness about events. And I think that that's, that is something that all of us could develop more of and, um, is is like profoundly useful. Maybe one of the most useful ways of being in the world is recognizing that when the boulder comes, you can do something with it. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. You know, I, it's probably important to say two things. Number one, that has been learned over going through a lot of hard things in my life. You know, we have had lots of challenges with our kids, which we've shared about. You know, we have kids with special needs. Um, we've had all kinds of stuff that we have faced together and certainly in my life before we were together. And I think 
that has been a gift in many ways. Um, I will say also that that's not my first response. Mm-hmm. So that's where I usually end up, but it's not my first response that there were plenty of tears. There were plenty of, you know, why did this happen? Confusion, discouragement, you know, all that stuff is, I would say that's the normal part of being a human that just comes up. You know, I think it's not helpful when people sort of like skip over the human part to the the part sure, where they totally. figured it out and they kind of like got that clarity. And, you know, I mean, I think sometimes we don't realize there is the option ultimately to decide what narrative we want to latch on to and move forward with. And so that's really empowering. But it's also empowering to know that that's usually a process and it can be messy a little bit getting there. And that's just part of being human. And that's certainly true for me. So whatever story we tell ourselves has to be true. And that means you do have to go through those, the hard parts of Mm -hmm. that, the experience part, the metabolizing, the change, the- Yeah, that's a good way to say it. The un- you know, unsmooth, the very lumpy parts of that process because it's not true. Otherwise, it's like just a manufactured or fake kind of thing. Like you said, like icing over something that isn't a cake. Right. You can't just be trying to resist the difficult feelings. It has to actually be no. something that feels ultimately truer to you. And I think this does feel truer. I mean, the the truth is every hard thing I've been through, including the very hardest things, have always turned out to be a gift. They've always been the seeds of my future success, of my um, ability to lead and love people well for empathy, all that kind of stuff. You know, that has always been central. And so my, as I sort of integrate this experience now into my current reality, and it's now part of who I am, and it's part of the future I'm headed into, you know, I, I welcome it as not something I would have chosen, but also a gift. And I'm excited to see what comes from it on the other side. Already good things have come. And I think that will be even truer as time goes on and I can look back. Well, guys, thank you for listening. I'm just really grateful for your willingness to listen to kind of a out of left field episode that is much less scripted and, you know, really intensely personal about this experience of my heart attack. Um, It's really meaningful to share this with you. And you guys matter a lot to me. I was really excited to get back to podcast to get back to our team and um, gives me a lot of meaning and purpose as I look ahead into the future and what I get to contribute to you all um, matters a lot. So Joel, thanks for being with me today too. I think it kind of helps to just have your perspective and uh, be able to let people into our shared experience around such a strange and unexpected situation. Yeah, I was, you know, uh, not pleased to go through it, but pleased to share it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. You're always my favorite person to go through hard things with (laughs) now and forever. You know, and I would say that if you're kind of wondering maybe what's a practical takeaway for you or what would I say if I just had one thing to say besides what we just said about stories and, you know, how you have agency over the narrative in your life around hard things, I would say this, you know, investing in your health and focusing on your life outside of work, as we talk about a lot here on the podcast and certainly in our work at Michael Hyde and Company, um, is really important. You never know when something outside of your control is going to cause you to need to make a withdrawal on the equity that you have accumulated in your health. And you may not be able to control the withdrawals that come, those requests that come through life, you know, 
But what you can control now is as how you set yourself up to respond to those things physically when and if they come. So I'm so grateful that I have been able to prioritize that stuff, that I've made it a part of my life. And if maybe you've been putting that off or it's just kind of not been on your radar, I just want to encourage you to do it, that you will be glad later because for all of us, something will happen that was unexpected. And if we are starting at a really strong place, the outcomes are likely to be much better. So thanks so much for your time. Uh, Thanks for joining us here on Lead to Win. And I look forward to seeing you next week. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by our brand new free guide, Shave 10 Hours Off Your Work Week. In this in-depth, action-focused guide, you'll discover why it feels like you don't have enough time and how to reclaim 10 hours each week. Get your free guide today at leadto.win slash shave.